When I was young, there was a movie made named Solomon and Sheba with uh, Yul Brynner and Gina Lola Brigida. Uh, and it was not very accurate. They, it was about a hot romance and all these other things. Test the movies by the Bible. Some are closer to the truth than others. Other ones are way out there. The theme of 1 Kings 10 is Solomon's wisdom and his wealth shown to the visitors, especially the Queen of Sheba. And then we'll make some comments reminding us that Solomon is a type of Christ and that this episode is mentioned in one of the Gospels. Verse 1, now when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. Where is Sheba? The scholars are divided. Most of them say it's in uh, southwest Arabia, you know, that big peninsula across the Gulf. And other ones say, no, it's in Ethiopia. And there are legends from Ethiopia saying that she came from there and she was African, African black and so forth. The Koran mentions her, but I'm inclined to say, no, she came from what would be today considered Yemen. And uh, some say, well, there, she was in this camel caravan because it mentions camels, but she could have bought the camels on a big barge. Uh, the Queen of Sheba, that's become a, a byword for a woman of luxury that shows off. Who do you think you are, the Queen of Sheba? And there's that legend of her floating down the Nile or the, the Gulf, you know, eating grapes and things like that. That's just, sure, legend. It does say she was a queen, but nothing said about her husband which could mean she was not married. He said, well, how could she be queen if she's not married? Um, uh, there were two queens, at least, in the United Kingdom that were not married. Queen Elizabeth I and then the other queen, I think, was, had just recently married. So if it's like there's no sons, the daughter can become queen. And it's, it's different kinds of customs, but uh, there's no mention of her husband. Perhaps the husband died and she's a widow. But in any case, she comes uh, with her large retinue. Now, unlike that movie, there was no hint of a romance or immorality with Solomon. That's Hollywood. But some people confuse um, the Queen of Sheba with Bathsheba. And they somehow think, well, didn't Solomon, you know, and then you're right. No, that was David, uh, not Solomon. Nor did they marry. She's not the first wife or many of the wives that Solomon had, not the one mentioned in the Song of Songs. And uh, unlike these other ones that he married, we're going to mention that next week, she didn't marry him to seal a treaty. She may have gone to hear him to sign a treaty, but that's not mentioned. She came here to hear him and to ask him trick questions. Notice it says she heard of his fame. How? They didn't have the internet or telephones back then. But there would be these traveling merchants going all around Africa, Asia, long distances, such as uh, in the life of Joseph. His brothers sold him to these traveling merchants going down to Egypt. And so she heard about that, and then, not to mention there would have been diplomats. And so she's curious, and notice how it says here, to, to, to concerning the name of the Lord. And that's capital L, capital R, o, capital R, capital D. And so she had her pagan gods. And she said, well, who is this Yahweh of the Jews that has given this wisdom to their king? I got to go check this out. 
So she's curious. Others came to listen. She came not only to listen, but to test Solomon. Kind of like, have you ever been to a meeting where they, the preacher says, well, tonight I'm just going to answer questions, and people say, it stumped the preacher night. We used to do that table talk, Matt, remember sometimes? And people would think up some hard question, and I always said, if I don't know the answer, I'll make one up for you. But Solomon didn't have to make up questions. He was brilliant and answered all the questions, but she came to test him, and that reminded me of when years ago I used to preach often in the open air, and uh, in Edinburgh and in London, hundreds of times, and then a crowd would gather, and I'd often just say, well, does anybody have a question? And then they'd heckle, and, but there'd be hecklers that they're not interested. They just want to stop you or embarrass you, and then be other people that were curious. And they'd have good questions, and then, then there were trick questions. I fell for one once. I remember a man, strong Irish accent up front, and I said, do you have a question? So he says, yes, I do. And he said, you, you go to a certain Baptist church? I said, yes. He said, uh, who started your church? And I happened to remember who it was. And I said, well, it was such and such. And then he grinned like, uh-oh, I, I walked into a trick question. He said, Jesus Christ started my church. I am a Catholic. You are a heretic. Yours was started by a mere man. And I said, I walked into that one. So uh, look out for trick questions. Acts 17, Paul was preaching in the open air and says some heckled and some people asked questions and other ones listened closely. When I preached in the open air, there were people that would listen very closely with good questions or sometimes no questions. The longest I ever preached in the open air continuously was for three hours once. And um, every now and then I'd say, do we have another question? So I was always talking and interacting. But I remember on that day... There was one man standing that close, never asked a question, but he hung on every word, and he was fascinated. And then after the sun went down, everybody left. I went up to him, shook his hand. I said, um, hello, uh, do you have any questions? He says, I've never heard this about Jesus. He said, I'm a Muslim from Iran. We've only heard about Jesus indirectly, but is what you say is true? It's just like in Acts 17. It says some of them did believe. Dionysius, the Areopagite, and so forth. Keep that in mind when you share the gospel with people. So she came to trick him with trick, trick questions. And Jesus said, be wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. Now, this is a type of Jesus. Uh, there are two incidents in Jesus' life. There are probably many more, but two are mentioned where there's questioning back and forth. First one, when he was 12 years old in the temple, Mary and Joseph had left him there and they forgot about it and they came back three days later. And they found him in the temple and look what it says. He was both asking and answering questions and they were amazed at his answers. Um, Kyle, you're a teacher. You know that when you hear a student ask a question, that will give you an idea how much they know. They could not have asked that question if they didn't know a certain amount. And so they were amazed, not just at his answers. How could that, how old are you, boy? Twelve. What a boy. Come up here. Where did you get such knowledge? Where did Jesus get such knowledge? He said, well, from God, and he was God. It would come in a variety of ways. Uh, he went to the synagogue and would learn from the rabbi every Shabbat. He would go to the temple and listen uh, to, the, to the great theologians, probably Gamaliel and some of the other ones. Uh, Mary and Joseph would have taught him the Torah, the, the, 
the law of God. And there are two other interesting, are you ready for some deep theology? This is what we used to do at theology table talk. I'm wetting your interest. He was taught internally by the Holy Spirit because he had the Holy Spirit in a special way. His Holy, the Holy Spirit was informing Jesus' humanity. Want to go deeper? Jesus' deity was teaching his humanity through the steps of life. Ponder that. And so it says in Luke 2, he grew in stature and in knowledge and wisdom. And so there he is in the temple asking these questions. The second one was um, right before they... Uh, turned him over to Pilate. The Pharisees and Sadducees came with trick questions, you know, about, you know, should we pay taxes? And what about the woman that had the seven consecutive husbands? And, and many other trick questions. And Jesus didn't fall for any of them. In fact, he turned the table on them. I'll answer that if you answer this. And they couldn't, so he said, well, I'm not going to answer your question either. He didn't walk into it. So uh, here's Solomon that didn't fall for the trick questions. Verse 2, she came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue, with camels that bore spices, very much gold, precious stones. That would mean like diamonds, rubies, emeralds. When she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. She came with many gifts, not bribes. And uh, this was a custom when the highest potentate in one country would meet the highest in another. They'd exchange different gifts. And that's what happens, for example, if uh, uh, a president of another country visits a president. Of course, they're not allowed to keep certain gifts. There's a certain maximum uh, amount. If it's worth more than, say, $100, they can't keep it. They'll donate it to somebody or something. But uh, there's some interesting stories. Jeff, I remember when Queen Elizabeth went to Saudi Arabia and the sheiks gave her one of them gave her, I think, a camel, another one an elephant, a herd of goats. <laughs> and, and the one that really the BBC showed was they came and they loaded down like a whole wheelbarrow full of gold in the form of jewelry. Well, that's under the table bribes. And she didn't accept any of it, but she ended up donating it. But that was the custom, and she would give certain things to others. So... Uh, this is the custom, and so she came with all these great gifts, and the greater the gift, the more you showed honor. Now, there's a, an old story, and it's probably true, about how you can give a, uh, a reverse gift, a white elephant. Anybody know the story of that? I think it's from India where they raise elephants. Um, some leader of this part of the kingdom would give a white elephant to his enemy, and it would be an offense if the person turned it down. That would mean war. But if you gave him the white elephant, it's going to bankrupt him, trying to feed it and take care of it. So a white elephant is like a gift you can't turn down, but you don't want to have it. And so, again, it's these kind of gifts. So she brings all these gifts, the spices, not just salt and pepper, but unusual flavorings, things, different kinds of food, and very much gold and precious stones, and all brought them to Solomon probably hadn't carried in and, you know, now we'll tell you what this is and what do you think. Also, the large entourage she would have, bodyguards, servants, they would be bringing in tents because this trip, if they went by camel, it could have been done in three weeks because it was 1,200 miles from that part of Arabia up to Jerusalem. And uh, Lawrence Arabia calculated that a good camel can travel 50 miles in a day. 
And so do the math, just like the wise men coming to see Jesus. But if she went through a barge, anyway, it would have been a large amount of people bringing all these great gifts, and of course, some of them soldiers to make sure nobody's stealing them or robbers and bandits attacking them. And so they'd bring tents, clothing, food, water, wine, and so forth. And as I said, this is like a type of the wise men from the east coming to meet King Jesus at his birth. And they brought these various gifts, uh, gold, frankincense, myrrh, just similar to what she brought. Frankincense and myrrh would have been considered like spices. And then gold and these gems, down in verse 10, 120 talents of gold. One writer I read said that by today's price, that would be approximately $10 million worth. That's a big, generous gift. You wonder if there are strings attached. You say, how much is a talent? Talent has been estimated to be 125 pounds. So do the math. 120 times 125. A mathematician, give us a quick answer. We're talking about thousands. And she brought that to Solomon. And then, of course, he gave gifts to her. It says here she spoke about all that was in her heart. So it shifted from just the trick questions now to the deep questions that were deep in her heart that her wise men couldn't answer. Now, we're not told exactly, but it's probably something like, you're so wise, what is the meaning of life? Why am I here? Why do I have this craving for some higher being or I feel guilty? Um, Is there a God? Which one, yours, mine? Also, it says what was in her heart, perhaps she came with um, a hurting heart that, you know, wanted personal counsel, like people come to a counselor or a pastor. Like, can you help me? Because she was a queen, he was a king, and they could often speak on a certain level like other ones beneath us. They don't understand the pressures of wearing the crown. Here's a lesson. She spoke to him everything in her heart. We need to speak to Christ all that's in our heart. He already knows, but we should open it up and not keep any secrets from him. And don't ask trick questions of him. Verse 3, Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain to her. Even the hard questions. Now, if our brother from the Middle East was here, he would say Middle Easterners love riddles that make you think. Uh, think of the ones in Scripture. You remember the riddle that Samson gave to the people. He said, I'll bet you he you knows so many 30 uh, suits of clothing, and I'll give them if you can't, I can't answer, and so forth. And he said, you know, out of, the, out of the strong came something sweet, and out of the eater came, what was that? I forgot the rest of the He was talking about the lion. But it was a riddle, and they couldn't answer it. They got mad when they had to pay up. Perhaps there are two other famous riddles that have stumped people. One of them may go back to ancient Egypt. Riddle of the Sphinx. Hands up. Anybody ever heard that one? One? Is that a hand up and they're just scratching your eye? Okay. Riddle of the Sphinx is this. You know the Sphinx next to one of the pyramids in Egypt. And the riddle is this. I think Napoleon heard it when they conquered Egypt. What animal walks on four legs in the morning, two legs in the afternoon, and three legs at night. What kind of animal is that? Anybody want to take a guess? Human has four legs in the morning. They crawl on all fours. 
And then the two legs. And then when they're laying down between them, there's staff. That's the riddle of the Sphinx. Did y'all ever? Well, you've heard it now. You know the answer. Okay. A few weeks ago, I mentioned another famous riddle um, about a traveler going somewhere and he wanted to go to a certain village, but he came to a crossroads. And at this village, they always tell the truth. There's never been a record of anybody lying and you're safe. If you go this way, you go to a village where they always lie, never tell the truth, and they're a bunch of cutthroats. And so he comes and sees a man sitting there. The riddle is, what question would you ask him to find out which village is which? Anybody ever heard that one before? I gave it a few weeks ago. No, no. Matt, do you know the answer? Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's a, you mentioned logic this morning. It is a logical thing. And as I recall, the answer is you ask the man, if you were from the other village, how would you answer this question? Which village is the liars? You're going to have to stay awake at night figuring that one out. But that's the kind of riddle the uh, Middle Easterners love to tell. And uh, so I'm sure that she asked Solomon those kind. And he answered every He would have known the one about the Sphinx and about the villagers and so forth. So he knew all the answers to all the questions. And then on a higher level, Jesus knows everything. He can answer all questions. I like that um, interplay between Jesus and Peter after Jesus had risen from the dead and they're sitting around a little fire and they just ate the fish and Jesus says, Simon, do you love me? Simon, do you love me? Do you love me? He's asking questions, kind of probing his heart. Listen to what he says on the third one. He says, Lord, you know all things. People often skip over that and say, yeah, he did change of the Greek words. No, but he said, Lord, you know everything. Why ask me if you already know? You know that I really do deep down love you. Jesus knows everything. And I'm sure people came not just to trick him with questions, but legitimate questions. Um, what question would you have asked Jesus if you had been there? Put yourself in their shoes knowing what the average Jew would have known. Think, do a study on the questions people ask Jesus. Are you the Messiah? Uh, or Pharisees, who do you think you are? Um, what question would you have asked Jesus? What question will you ask him when you get to heaven? Solomon answered all the questions. Jesus doesn't answer all of our questions. Do a study on just the questions that God asks people in the Bible. There are whole chapters in the book of Job, and, and God didn't give them all the answers. He was trying to humble Job. Uh, Job, I'm asking you a question you can't answer, and that tells you I know the answer. So God, and this is strange, God puts something in our mind where we can ask a question that he doesn't give us the answer to. And yet we know there's an answer. How can he be three persons in one nature. How can Jesus be God and man? Big question. We don't know the final answer. But that tells us that God does, and that humbles us and exalts him. And as I said, you can learn a lot about a person and yourself by uh, what kind of question you ask. Um, people say, well, why did you choose me? Or 
uh, what did you really accomplish on the cross, you know, when it went dark? Uh, think of the deep questions that we can ask God. Okay, verses 4 and 5 now. When the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters and their apparel, his cupbearers and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. She was evidently given a personal tour around the palace, but not the temple. Only Jews were allowed in any part of the temple. There was the court of the Gentiles kind of on the outskirts. She could have gone there. And there's also the court of the women where women could go and go no further, but it's like you had to be a Jew to, to go so far and then a Jewish man to go so far and then you had to be a priest and then the high priest. But she at least saw the palace and was overwhelmed, it says here, by the food, the servants wearing special clothing, the cupbearer. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. Cupbearer would be the one that would not only bring the wine, he'd have to taste it in case it was poisonous. And, you know, I heard a story, as this could be one of those old legends, and I'm trying to remember exactly when it was stated where... Um, uh, a servant gave something to the king to drink and he put it down and then the man um, had poisoned it. And so he went to another, it was a cupbearer that poisoned it, went and hid. And the king, you know, went to drink it and noticed that a spider had fallen into it. So he said, hey, cupbearer, come here. And cupbearer said, uh-oh, he's found out that it's poisoned. And so he killed himself. But the king hadn't found out that it was actually poisoned. He was concerned about the spider. But that's a dangerous job to be the uh, wine taster uh, in case it was poisoned. Same thing with the food. And so she meets the cupbearers, and then it says here this little walkway from the palace over to the temple. It's kind of like, you know that under Washington, D.C., there are a lot of tunnels. Capitol, White House, Pentagon, and there are in various other places. There's certainly in London, I've seen a couple of them the war room and things like that. So uh, he now gives her some gifts. Got my notes in the wrong order. Hold on. Here we are. So it says she has no more spirit in her. That doesn't mean she died and her spirit left. That's a Hebrew way of saying she's emotionally overwhelmed by all of this. The half hadn't been told me. She said, she's basically saying, I give up. No more questions. By the way, that's something like that. When the Pharisees, it says they gave up asking Jesus questions. He's too smart. We can't trick him. Let's go home. Um, and so there's, she's just overwhelmed by this. And she's saying, no more, no more. I, I need to ponder everything you've said. Uh, it's like a school child at the end of the day doesn't want any more lessons, just wants to go home and play. It's like, my mind is too filled now. We should be like that whenever we read the Bible. It should fill our mind and our heart, and we should say, I can't eat another bite. You know, there's always room for jello, but sometimes I'm just stuffed. And uh, have you ever been to a, hear a sermon or a conference, and by the end of the message you say, I can't listen to another word. I've got so much to chew over and to think about. Wow, this is great. We should uh, treasure those times. Like when we read the Bible, we should read, read, read until we say, I, I'm just overwhelmed by this. I am full. And it mentions the, his house, and 
earlier chapters described it just uh, the gold and the ornateness. And so he shows her around and Jesus, the king, will show us around our home in heaven. He'll say, mi casa es su casa. My house is your house because we're his bride. So we should study heaven now and make sure that we are going there. Verses 6 and 7, she says to the king, It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half was not told to me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. She had heard, and now she says they weren't exaggerating. You know, some people do exaggerate when they come home from a vacation or a great movie or something like that. Um, when we witness to people, sometimes they, they think, are you exaggerating? You're talking about always having love and peace. Aren't you kind of stretching it? You know, well, we don't want to exaggerate, but when we tell about infinite realities, they're beyond exaggeration. She had thought... I'll believe it when I see it. Then she sees it and she believes that it's true and much more. I'll believe it when I see it. She did and she did. It's like these others that had told her said, you got to go there to Jerusalem. You got your majesty. You have to go. I can't describe it fully. You want to go. So she was curious. Here's a lesson for us when we talk to people about the gospel. We should use three words that are repeated in John chapter 1. Look it up. One of them was to Nathaniel, where uh, one that had been with Jesus uh, said something. He said, well, Jesus, he's great. He said, well, from Nazareth, nothing comes from Nazareth. And the three words were, well, come and see. And then it's repeated also. And then later with Thomas, I won't believe until I see. Well, come and see. We can say to the lost, come and see for yourself. Come visit our church. Open the Bible and see it for yourself. Challenge them. Invite them. Read the Bible and find out. Many people have read it and found out it really is true. Don't show it to yourself to come and see and find out if it really is true. She says the half had not been told me, far more than what she had imagined. Okay, this will preach same thing with God. The most, the greatest theologians or a team of them have ever learned is a very tiny bite off the top of an infinite iceberg. And God has revealed only a small amount in the Bible. There's far more that he hasn't revealed. It's not the half hadn't been told. The millionth has not been told about God. What will we be doing in eternity? Among other things, biting into the rest of that infinite iceberg, learning more. And we'll always go on learning and being amazed like she was here. Look at verse 8, interesting phrase. This is a beatitude. Blessed or happy are your men and happy are your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. In other words, your guards and servants, they hear all the time. This is a blessing like, you know, more blessed to give than to receive. Blessed are the mourners and so forth. And... Um, this can be transferred to the apostles that went everywhere with Jesus and heard him give all of his message, especially the inner three. Peter, James, and John heard everything that Jesus said, and they were abundantly blessed, even though they were amazed by this. I remember a lady quoted this verse to me once at a Bible study, saying, blessed are the people that come and hear you teach your Bible studies. And I just said, well, I'm not that great. But then I remember another woman 
came to our theology table talk, and she was so happy. This was just what she wanted. A year later, she stopped coming and never came back. But uh, I imagine this queen wished she could have stayed there to hear. Here's a lesson for us. Let us listen to God in the Bible and sit at Christ's feet like Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel and soaked it in. What's the golden example of someone that sat at Jesus' feet and didn't talk but listened? Who? Mary of Bethany, one of my favorites in the Bible. She has chosen the better part. Wouldn't you like to have been at the feet of Jesus hanging on any word? Now, uh, I mentioned these movies. And there was an interesting line that someone put in one of those movies about the life of Jesus. And um, I think it was Roddy McDowell playing Matthew, the tax collector. And uh, he hadn't become a believer yet, but he had heard Jesus say some things. And he kind of tagged along with them. Uh, no, it was somebody playing uh, John, and he says, I'm not, I don't understand everything, but next time he speaks, I want to be there. I like that. Next thing he says, I want to be there, because he's saying things, just walking down the street, I want to hear all that I can get. We should be like that. We should listen to preachers when they preach the word of God, and uh, I hope you listen to preachers during the week, radio, internet, CDs. There are many good preachers worth listening to. Read good Christian books based upon the Bible. And we should be like these listening servants that are listening, believing, and they're servants, they're obeying. We need to be listening servants of Jesus. Verse 9 is another blessing, not to men, but to God. Blessed be the Lord your God who delight in you, setting you on the throne of Israel. Blessed Oh, because the Lord has loved Israel forever, therefore he made you king to do justice and righteousness. Now, she's a pagan. I don't think she's being converted, but she's acknowledging the God of Israel. Uh, we're not told that she forsook her pagan gods, but at least she gives credit where credit is due. She's not saying, boy, you are sharp. You must have gone to the university. No, she's saying God gave you this wisdom. Maybe Solomon had said that. And uh, God, Solomon would have given God the credit for this, and so should we. Let's don't be glory thieves or glory hogs. We should say, I am what I am by the grace of God, which is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. And it says that uh, she realized God delighted in Solomon, and God delights in us. How can God delight in us that are sinful people that are evil? Well, because he loves us and he transforms us and we are a delight to him. That's grace. We are actually pleasing to the Lord Jesus. He smiles upon us. Lastly, it says in that verse that a king should do justice and righteousness. Very few do. We should pray for them to have justice and righteousness according to God's word, not just simply the law of the land. Okay, now look at the, the, the gifts aren't, the gift giving isn't over, verse 10. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold. So they're exchanging those talents. Spices in great quantity and precious stones that she had brought. And there never again came such an abundance of spices as the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. Keeps mentioning these spices. That was very valuable, like the uh, gifts the wise men gave to Jesus. What gift would you give to Jesus? You ever think about that? Do that again, Matt. Your heart. That's what he wants most from us. He doesn't need our money. He 
He wants our heart. There's a verse in Proverbs. My son, give me your heart. And um, that's what he wants. I occasionally ask people around Christmas, if you'd been one of the wise men, what gift would you have given to Jesus? I asked out of the prison inmates that write to me. <laughs> I had some interesting answers. One of them said, I'd give him a pillow. If he's a baby, get kind of sticky on that straw in the manger. Another one said, I'd sing him a song on the guitar, kind of like the little drummer boy. And other ones said, I'd give him my heart. And that's the gift that he wants from us, just like Mary of Bethany, or he wants our tears, like the woman in Luke 7 that wept on his feet. Okay, we're going to go through the rest of the chapter a little bit quicker. The ships of Hiram, verse 11, which bought gold from Ophir, bought great quantities of almug wood and precious stones from Ophir, and goes on to say how he used this wood. Um, Hiram had helped Solomon built both the temple and the, um, the palace. Not quite sure if he was uh, converted and became a Jew, but lesson there is uh, there are people that we can hire to help us in the things of the Lord. Um, an auditor, a banker, uh, if we need a mortgage, someone to repair the building, things like that, we need to check them out. And so here's Hiram also honoring him with these great gifts, especially wood. Um, from Syria and especially Lebanon, that would be cedar wood. You know that not all wood is the same. Um, There's soft pine, there's hard oak, there's variable mahogany and teak, there's redwood from California, and some trees are valuable because of their fruit, and other ones they are variable for the wood or the sap. Where do you think molasses comes from? And uh, God has put all sorts of things in the trees, not just for making wood or the fruit. Uh, years ago, there was a possibility that someone had found a certain ingredient in the sap of a certain rare tree in California that could have produced a cure for cancer. So researchers looked into it, found out it wasn't true, but what if it was? It want to protect that tree. The glands of certain protected animals might contain the cure for leukemia or something like that. I remember sharing this with a woman who was an atheist environmentalist, and I said, you know, I'm a Christian environmentalist. You are? I've never heard of that. And I said, God created this, and I think he's put a lot of things into the trees and the animals that we need to protect in order to carry out the creation mandate. Just like he created numbers, he's created these other things. So there's the wood. Also mentions the musicians, verses 11 and 12. Uh, Ecclesiastes mentions Solomon's orchestra and choir. Perhaps Solomon sang along with them. Verse 13, now Solomon gives her gifts too. And that was the custom. But in addition to the regular gifts, he says, ask. And we're not told what she asked for, just like the dancing girl came to Herod and Herod said, I'll give you, you know, up to half my kingdom and she said, well, give me the head of John the Baptist. And so uh, this is interesting. She said, he says to her, ask what you want. That's what God said to Solomon. Ask what you want. And he said, well, give me wisdom to be a good king. And God says, I'll give you that and things above what you asked for. What would you have asked Solomon for? Richest man on earth. And he'll say, ask, and it's yours. What would you have asked? Again, you can learn a lot about a person by what he really wants. This isn't a basis for the name it, claim it idea because God didn't give us a blank check and say, I'll give you everything up to half my kingdom. 
so there's lessons to be learned here. And so he gave her more than she asked for, which tells us God's like that. God gives us more than what we really need. He meets our needs. God is a magnanimous God. James 1 says he's a generous God. And I like Ephesians 3.20. He is abundantly able to give exceedingly above all we ask or think. And he gives us so much, and he's got so much more in heaven waiting for us. Think of it like this. This is in my notes. He gives good things to everybody in the earth by common grace, but he gives something to his children above that. He gives to his children more than he gives to any of the angels or to all of them. We are abundantly blessed. The blessings of God's gifts are more than earthly blessings. He gives us heavenly blessings. And what's the greatest gift that God gives us? Someone tell me. Jesus. Thank God for his inexpressible gift, Paul said. Worth more than all other gifts put together. Then we're told here that she returned home, and I'm sure she told other people, oh, come here, i got to tell you about that. She probably told all the stories and the questions as best she could remember them. Now, the rest of the chapter has to do with Solomon's wealth, verse 14 and following. Call your attention to something and how somebody is misunderstood. The weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. I've heard people say, that's a prophecy of the Antichrist. 666, it's going to be very wealthy. No, <laughs> it's got nothing to do with the Antichrist. It just, that's how much gold was brought in. He was a very wise trader, plus there was tribute and other such things. And uh, you notice it keeps mentioning gold. That was the gold standard. I, for one, believe that God created precious metals. I'd like to see us return to the gold standard and not just printing money that's... I, I, I thought you were going to agree with that. Yeah, but that's another lesson. There was gold in the Garden of Eden. It says the gold in that country was good gold. Verse 15... Besides that, from the traveling merchants, from the income of traders, the kings of Arabia, and all the governors of the country. So those traders would come and go, and just like today, international businessmen and those that deal in import and export, and they should all be very fair and wise like Solomon. Solomon would never just fall for their tricks and shady deals. He'd never buy a pig and a poke. And so they said, we're going to get a fair deal with him. Then he makes, verse 16 and following, with all this gold, he makes shields and bowls and plates and goblets and uh, hammered gold. This is amazing. It must have been just outstanding to see this, uh, just like in a museum or the Smithsonian. And he didn't do this to show off. Uh, this was like, this is showing, this is for God's glory, and it wasn't to be used. Um, I mentioned those gold necklaces that are given to people in the Middle East. And I remember one guy that had been a, 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 a traveler in that part of the world, wheeling and dealing. And he says, you can go into certain jewelry stores and you have to know the Middle Eastern mindset. You go there and you look at all this gold and chains and he says, and you're not there to buy your wife a necklace. You'd buy the gold, but you can't buy it in ingots. So what they do is you say, you say, I'll take this, this, and this, and he scoops it up and puts it on the scales, and he says, okay, the daily price, okay, here's what it's for. In other words, it's the gold that gave value to the jewelry, 
And uh, so here he had to do something, and so the, but the precious thing was the gold, not the shields and the goblets and these other things. Let me point out something interesting, verses 18 to 20. The king made a great th- throne of ivory and then overlaid it with gold. It was something like that in the um, Ark of the Covenant. The throne had six steps, and on the top of the throne, round about the back, and there were armrests on the either side of the place of the seat with two lions stood beside them and 12 lions stood out. In other words, there'd be these 12 lions of statues as well as two special ones on either side of the king. I remember Francis Schaeffer, y'all remember him. He said those were statues, but these were two real lions next to him. And he says, imagine what it was like coming up to the king with roaring lions and, and you're asking the king a question. Go look at him, look at the lions. Maybe they were real lions. Francis Schaeffer said they were. I don't know, maybe they were. But it does signal out these other two in addition to the 12. Verse 21, he made gold cups and plates because silver was just cheap. Well, the price of silver has fluctuated in modern times. For example, we once were on the silver standard with dimes and quarters, and then they changed it in 1964. Counter change, if you ever see one from before 64, it's worth more than 10 cents if it's a dime. It's worth dollars. But it says here silver was so cheap, um, it's just like when we get to heaven. Gold, there's streets of gold. It's like dirt. It's not worth much anymore. Earth's riches are worth little compared to the riches of heaven. I like verse 22. The king had merchant ships at sea with the fleet of Hiram. And once every three years, the merchant ships came bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and monkeys, sometimes translated peacocks. Apes and monkeys. Think about that. Uh, Gorillas, chimpanzees, orangutans, gibbons, monkeys. Um, Solomon had a zoo, and he studied animals. I've always wondered when I look at this, what did the people in Israel think when they brought in monkeys? They don't have monkeys and gorillas. I imagine they said, Oi, hey, Shimon, looks like a little man covered in hair. They laughed. They'd probably just die laughing. Look at the chimpanzee. He's like a little man. It's like a child that goes to the zoo and says, Mommy, that looks like, you know, such and such. And so he, they brought in apes, and it could be peacocks because the it's a variation in the Hebrew there. Whether monkeys or peacocks, peacocks are probably the most beautiful bird in the world. Verse 23, King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. And all the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom. They probably sent ahead, can we come or can you come to us? But notice, which God had put in his heart. If we lack wisdom, the Bible says, Ask of God, he will give if you ask in faith. Go to the word, and God has ways of giving it to us. Solomon was the richest man on earth at that time, and probably for centuries thereafter. Think of other people known for being the wealthiest person in the world at one time. Rockefeller, Carnegie, J. Paul Getty, Steve Jobs. Anybody remember Daniel Ludwig? At one time was the richest man on earth about 50 years ago. Bill Gates. Uh, Warren Buffett, now, who, who do you think now is the wealthiest? <laughs> Good guess. Hmm? 
Musk, I think, is number two, and he, they say that he is catching up on number one and may be the first trillionaire. Bezos, yes. Um, okay, Jeff, pop quiz. Who are the three wealthiest people in the United Kingdom? No, no, the Queen. McCartney is number two. Number three is J.K. Rowling, author of the Harry Potter books. And uh, McCartney was the first uh, billionaire outside of the uh, royal family. And then families are known for their wealth. The Saudi family, the Rockefeller family, the Sam Walton family. After he died, you know, he had Walmart and he was dividing. They sued each other. But that family was the wealthiest family in the world for years. And yet, here's a lesson I'm sure Solomon learned and he expresses it in Ecclesiastes. You can't take it with you. You can't buy a ticket to heaven. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, lose his own soul? Egyptian pharaohs had learned the hard way. They stored up gold in the pyramid and the gold was still there after their bones rotted unless they were embalmed. And you've heard these two stories that are kind of, I don't know, cynical, but they say there are no pockets on burial shrouds. Another one, two men were sitting at a gas station drinking a cold drink, and a funeral procession goes by, and there goes the hearse, and one of them says, hey, you notice there ain't no U-Haul in the back of that hearse. Sounds funny, but there's truth. You can't take it with you. You can't buy a ticket to heaven. True riches are spiritual, not material. Better to be a poor Christian then riches, Bill Gates and all these other ones, and still lost. Jesus said, you know, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Store up tre- true treasures in heaven. Colossians says, all the riches of God are in Jesus Christ, and he's the most valuable one of all. Ever wonder what do you valuable, value the most that's tangible? That's been put in the form of a question. If you were in your house in the middle of the night and it was on fire, and the fireman said, take just one thing with you, or like these refugees leaving uh, Ukraine, only what they could carry, what would you bring with you that you personally own? Your family Bible? A lot of people say, I would take the family album of pictures. They're irreplaceable. But what, do you, what physical thing do you value the most? When I keep getting back to the United Kingdom. I guess it's Jeff reminding me. When she was installed, inaugurated, um, the year I was born, the Archbishop of Canterbury gave her a, a special Bible and says, you know, this is the best gift we can give you. It's from the King of Kings, something to that effect. Bible is the most precious, tangible thing we have. Okay, rapidly, 24 to 25, other people came like the Queen of Sheba, just like presidents and prime ministers entertain all sorts of dignitaries. And it says, again, which which wisdom God had put in his heart, not in his heart, not just his head. Then it closes 26 to 29, Solomon building up this army of horsemen. Now let me point out an important word. This army of horsemen would constitute the Israeli cavalry, not calvary. I love old westerns and they often butcher the language and they say, here come the cowboys and the... Calvary, no, Calvary is where Jesus died. Cavalry means soldiers on horseback. It says also chariots would be like the equivalent of tanks in their day. But perhaps he uh, collected all these horses and bred them like Arabian thoroughbreds. 
for horse racing, which is called the sport of kings. And kings and queens love to watch horse racing, and they breed them, and uh, members of royal families play polo. And that's what Solomon did. He bred all these horses, but he shouldn't have. We're going to look at that next week. There are two things God had said kings should not do, and he did both of them when he backslid. Here are two quick lessons. Matthew 12, 42, Jesus said, uh, he pronounced a kind of a curse upon the people. He said, uh, you know, the queen of Sheba came a long distance to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and she's going to rise up in the judgment against you because you don't believe me. They, she came a long distance away, hot desert and all that. There are people today that won't even cross the street to go to church. Think about that. That's going to be held against them at judgment day. Second lesson and last one. All these people, including the queen, were in awe of Solomon. We need to be in awe of Jesus and never outgrow it. As Jesus said, behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Let's pray. Father, Jesus is greater than Solomon, greater than the greatest, wiser than the wisest, richer than the richest. And he is the wisest and the choice of all riches. Thank you for him. In his name we pray. Amen.